The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verse 6 through 13. When Jesus was at Bethany, visiting the house of Simon, who had a skin disease, a woman came to him with a vase made of alabaster, containing very expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' head while he was sitting at dinner. Now when the disciples saw it, they were angry and said, Why this waste? This perfume could have been sold for a lot of money and given to the poor. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. He said, Why do you make trouble for this woman? She's done a good thing for me. You always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. By pouring this perfume over my body, she's prepared me to be buried. I tell you the truth, that whenever, wherever in this world, whole world, in the whole world, this is good news is announced. Uh, what she's done will also be told in her memory. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. So I have to say before I begin this morning that I'm a, uh, I'm a pastoral counselor by trade, and um, Stephen, do you have some unresolved issues related to Thanksgiving? <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, two and a half days was really fine. I only got two days, and I had to walk to school through five miles of snow up to here as did everybody of my generation. <laughs> Two and a half days was fine. Glad we're spending some time together this afternoon. <laughs> Talk about that. Will you pray with me? Oh, God. Again. Really? I know you needed to give us freedom because without freedom there could be no love. But when freedom goes in the direction of evil, and when so many are so blind, so much hatred, God, we pray that you would bring peace to this land. I pray for all the families in the springs who've lost loved ones. I pray for the whole city, the whole state, our entire nation. Too much pain far too often. May we come to our senses and may we protect the most vulnerable in our land. As we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. When you're lost in the forest, stand still. When you're lost in the forest, stand still. The trees ahead and bushes beside you are not lost. Wherever you are is called here. You must treat it as a powerful stranger, must ask its permission to know it and to be known by it. 
Listen, the forest breathes. It whispers, I have made this place around you. You may leave and return to here. No two trees are the same to a raven. No two branches are the same to a wren. If what a tree or a branch does is lost on you, well, now, then you are surely lost. What do you do when you're lost in the forest? Stand still. The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you. It's the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John. Jesus had just received word that Lazarus, his friend, was about to die, and he told the disciples they were going into Judea. Their response, um, Jesus, have you forgotten they want to kill you in Judea? And he said, yeah, actually, we have to go because Lazarus is asleep. To which they said, so we're going to risk our lives to wake him up? Jesus said, no, you don't understand. You see, Lazarus is dead. Oh, oh, oh. And we're going into Judea. What was a response to the fact that they were going into Judea? Well, things were not working out like the disciples thought they were going to work out. They thought Jesus was going to defeat the Romans, bring independence back to Israel, give them positions of power, and yet he's hanging out with the poorest of the poor, the lowest of the low. Now his best friend has died. He's been powerless to do anything about it. Is he what they thought? And Thomas speaks up. What does he say? He says, let us go also that we may die with him. Well, now that's an interesting response. Something had happened to Thomas in his experience with Jesus that said to him, I will say yes to this man, even though he clearly did not understand him very well. Something had happened previously in his life. We have no idea what it is. We're not told that caused him to say, you know what? I may not believe this man. I may not believe that he can raise Lazarus from the dead, as he's saying he's going to do, but I trust him. And so I will follow him into Judea and die with him. They go into Judea, to the edge of the suburb of Bethany. And Lazarus's sister Martha shows up and she is angry. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus said, well, there's a resurrection coming. And she said, I know there's a resurrection at the last day, but, but my brother's gone. And Jesus said, just, I am the resurrection. She's angry. She uses her words. He uses words back and settles her down. And she goes back home and she sees her sister Mary who has not come with her to see Jesus. And she says to Mary, he's here. Mary, who has been mourning and grieving in the home for her lost brother, gets up and goes to Jesus and falls at his feet and says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus knows no words are going to work. He says, take me to where you have left him. And they do. They take him to where he is buried. And Jesus weeps. He weeps. He cries. He mourns with them in the midst of their mourning. And right there, right there on the spot, I think everything changed for Mary. I think this was the point when she said yes to Jesus. 
The fact that he was suffering with her in the midst of her suffering, that he was showing solidarity with her in the midst of her suffering, I think it causes her to say there's something different about this man. I can trust him. And she said yes. Both Mary and Thomas answered the call under the hero's journey. The hero's journey is common to every age, every language, every ethnicity, every people group. An ordinary citizen is called onto an extraordinary journey onto the road of trials. And initially they reject the call because, hey, it's the road of trials. Nobody willingly goes on to the road of trials. We talked about this when I was here back in March. But now you know you've been called onto the hero's journey and you're miserable because you've rejected the call. And so a spiritual guide comes into your life, a Yoda-type person, who gives you the courage to answer the call onto the hero's journey and you answer the call and sure enough, it's a road of trials. And then it gets worse. You find yourself in a deep, dark, black cave where the true way is wholly lost. It is always a part of the hero's journey. Not just the road of trials, but the deep, dark, black cave. It's what Dante was talking about at the beginning of the Divine Comedy when he said, in the middle of the road of my life, I awoke in a dark wood where the true way was wholly lost. Yeah, I've been there. It's Shakespeare's Macbeth who I think would have said this morning, life is but a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. I mean, really, folks, it's the guns. He's angry. And he's in the midst of that dark night of the soul. It's John of the Cross calling it the dark night of the soul. When you've answered the call into the hero's journey, you're in that super dark night of the soul. When you're in that deep, dark, black cave, you are utterly and completely lost. And this is when you discover it's okay. It's all right to be completely and utterly lost because here's the thing. Lost is a place too. That's right. Lost is a place too. There are things you can learn in the place called lost. You simply cannot learn any other way. Lessons you gain in a place called lost, you cannot gain any other way. A certain kind of wisdom and humility and confidence and humility, paradoxically, that come from the place called lost, you cannot gain them any other way. So Thomas, later, finds himself in the place called lost after he has said yes to Jesus. It's the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John. Things are getting worse with Jesus, and Jesus says to the disciples, he's going to leave. But he's telling them things really aren't all that bad. And he says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. And if it was not so, I would have told you. When I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again that where I am, you're, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. They have no idea where he's going. What is this leaving, coming back? And nobody's got the guts to admit it except Thomas, who says, um, What? We have no idea where you're going. And Jesus says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Just follow me. Okay, he can do that. And then not long after that, Jesus manages to get himself killed. And hey, it's hard to follow a dead man. He's not even there. He's left 
the rest of the disciples. He is in the place called lost. The disciples meet together after the resurrection of Jesus for the first Sunday evening church service. But Thomas isn't there. He is completely and utterly lost. But then he makes the decision to come back. To come back into the community of faith to find the answers to his questions. You know, that's what we are as a species. We never took off as a species when we stayed in the level of blood kin. We took off as a species when we moved to the level of tribe. And what brought us together as tribes, as a species, it was not man's need for safety. It was man's search for meaning. Think Stonehenge or the carved bodies of Rapa Nui, or, or the burial mounds of indigenous Americans. What has always brought us together is our search for meaning, and he's looking for meaning, and he comes back among the disciples to find the answers to his questions. It's a Monday night. Eight days after the resurrection, the disciples are meeting together for the first Monday evening home Bible study, when all of a sudden, through a bolted door, here comes Jesus. And he says, peace be with you. And note, he does not say, peace to everybody except Thomas, who blew it a week ago Sunday. And then he says to Thomas, come touch, for the nails went into my hands and the sword went into my side. Now, now if I was Jesus, I would not have done that. I would have said, so, Thomas, nice to see you. Oh, you want to touch me? Well, the rest of these guys, they're more than willing to believe I'm resurrected without touching me. You want to touch me? You can forget it. That, that's what I would have done. But I lived in New York for 35 years. You know, I mean, it affects you to live in a place like that. <laughs> Jesus says, come, touch where the nails went into my hands and the sword went into my side. And you know, we don't know if he actually touched Jesus or not. He falls to the feet of Jesus and cries out, my Lord and my God. And he is no longer in the place called lost. He is back in the ordinary road of trials, which now feels like nothing, given what he's gone through. You've been there. I've been there. It was about 20 years ago, I was going through the worst period of depression I have ever faced, and I memorized the first poem I've ever memorized. It's David White's poem. When your eyes are tired, the world is tired also. When your vision has gone, no part of the world can find you. It's time to go into the dark, where the night has eyes to recognize its own. There you can be sure you are not beyond love. The dark will be your home tonight. The night will give you a horizon further than you can see. You must learn one thing. You must learn one thing. You must learn one thing. The world was made to be free in. You must give up all other worlds except the one to which you belong. You must give up all other worlds except the one to which you belong. Sometimes it takes darkness and the sweet confinement of your aloneness to learn that anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. That is what Thomas discovers. You must learn one thing. The world was made to be free and you must give up all other worlds except the one to which you belong. Sometimes it takes darkness and the sweet confinement of your aloneness to learn that anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. It's Jesus. He's back on the ordinary road of trials and on the hero's journey, he gets to the Holy Grail. 
But then as we all discover in the hero's journey, just getting to the Holy Grail is only half the journey. No, you have a responsibility. You have to bring back what you have found and give it as an offering to those from whom you have departed. And that's exactly what Mary does. It's about six weeks later. Jesus comes back into Bethany. He's at the house of Lazarus, who's been raised from the dead, and Mary and Martha. And Martha is fixing a meal in the kitchen, and Jesus is out in the living room teaching all of the men. And oh, wait, Mary's there. That is scandalous in that culture. But she has said yes to Jesus. And she's not going to be in the kitchen any longer. She will sit at the feet of the master. And then she takes a jar of perfume and breaks it over the feet of Jesus. And in a very intimate move, she wipes Jesus' feet clean with her hair. And Judah says, wait, you shouldn't have done that. That's a year's worth of wages. That's right, a year's wages. You should have sold that and given the money to the poor. Yeah, right, Judas. That tax cut's really going to help everybody, not just the wealthy. Mm -hmm. Jesus says, no, don't bother. She, she's preparing my body for burial. Let her do what she's doing. She's giving me her gift. You know, everybody's called under the hero's journey, every last one of us. The question isn't whether you're called or not. The question is, do you recognize the call when it comes, and do you answer it? That's the question. And you know, you will always be called under the hero's journey into one of your areas of giftedness. Now, we all have three different levels of abilities. First of all, we have abilities. That's a term I'm using arbitrarily. An ability is something that you're good at, but you can't say you really enjoy. So I have my own company. I run the finances of my company. I'm good at it. I don't like it. That is an ability. I do it because I have to. We all have abilities, but then we also all have gifts. Now, a gift is an ability that you love so much you lose track of time when you're doing it. You love to work within the realm of your giftedness. For me, that would be working as a pastoral counselor. It also would be writing. That's a gift. But then all of us also have a pinnacle gift. It's the kind of gift that everyone says to us, oh, that, oh, that, that is your sweet spot. Not your mother, no. But everyone else in the world says that's your sweet spot. So one of my pinnacle gifts is that I've done four TED Talks that have had over 9 million views, and so now I'm a speaker's ambassador for TED. I also am a coach for TEDx Mile High, which is the largest TEDx in the world. There is nothing that gives me greater satisfaction than seeing one of the speakers I've been working with for months just nail it in their TED Talk, because my job as a speaker's coach is to take scientific nerds and give them jazz hands. You know, this is what it means to work with TED speakers. It is, in fact, one of my sweet spots, a pinnacle gift. You, too, have a pinnacle gift, and you will always be called by God to the realm of your gifts or your pinnacle gifts. But you will never be called to a task that you think you can accomplish. Here's how it works. You have a sense, oh, I've been called to this. I need to do this. This is what I need to do. Oh, yes, the joy of joys. I can't wait to answer this call. Yeah, that's not your call. That's somebody else's call. 
Because your call from God will always be responded to with an, oh, what? You want me to what? And you will say to that call, oh, I don't have what it takes to accomplish that call. And here's the kind of interesting thing, you don't. We never have what it takes to, to complete the call we've been given. It's always been that way on the hero's journey. The hero goes into the battle without the tools the hero needs to win the battle. I mean, think of the old ancient story of Beowulf. He has to kill the mother of Grendel. He drops down into the deep, dark, black lagoon. The king gives him, King Hrothgar gives him a helmet and a sword, and he takes them into the battle, and they are useless because you will only defeat the monster with the tools you find in the midst of the battle. After three days and three nights, he finally finds a sword, a glowing sword hanging on the wall. He rips it off the wall and kills the mother of Grendel. This is how it works when you're called by God. You don't think you can do what you've been called to do. And then in the midst of the battle, you find the strength you need to do it. And that is when the joy arrives. So all of us have been called. Mary knew she was called. In her case, she was from a family of means with a very nice house. Often they would have Jesus and all the disciples there with them and he would teach from there. She had financial means and so what does she do? She extravagantly takes an entire year's worth of salary, breaks a jar of perfume and then washes the feet of Jesus. This is her gift. So what is your gift? Maybe you too are in a position where you have been able to earn a lot of money and so the gift that God has given you is the ability to give that money for the sake of the work of God. That is a marvelous thing. Every church needs that. Maybe your area of giftedness is to work with those who have been oppressed. Maybe it's to work on social justice and you've been working as an ally and it's great to be an ally, but do you know when you're an ally, you're still in charge? Maybe you need to move to the next step to be an assistant to be an apprentice. So those who are oppressed can direct you in the work you need to do. Maybe that's the gift you need to express. Maybe it's to work with kids. Maybe it's to work with teens. God, that's not my gift, working with teens. But maybe, maybe that's your gift. I don't know what your gift is, but I know here in this place, this church will not thrive if you are not willing to say yes to the call that terrifies you. That is what will move this church forward. You must learn one thing. You know, David White said when he was writing that poem, he was so excited. He was in a very dark night. And he said he got to the point where he wrote the entire poem and he gets to writing down that line, you must learn one thing. And he said he realized he had no idea what the one thing was. <laughs> Took him months to find the answer and finish the poem. You must learn one thing. The world was made to be free in. You must give up all other worlds except the one to which you belong. Sometimes it takes darkness and the sweet confinement of your aloneness to learn that anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. God, it terrifies us when you call us because we don't think we can do it. But you will give us what we need. And we can change the world 
if we will allow your spirit to work within us. Ah, give us that courage. And this we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you.